Well, hello, good people of Mountain and our friends. How are you? Uh, you I don't know where you are. You might be joining us um, right here in the Mountain Center. You might be joining us from your car, your living room, your bedroom. I don't know uh, where you are. You might be at the Edgewood campus. You might be at the uh, Epicenter. You might be at uh, the Abingdon campus or the Aberdeen campus or the Edgewood campus. Did I name them all? I don't know. Can we just say wherever you are, I'm glad you're here, and let's welcome everybody in. Let's do that. It's fun to be together, finally. So... Let me ask you a question. Uh, what, what do you do when you are faced with a bad situation? What's your kind of go-to? Everyone has a sort of go-to. In different days, maybe you're different ways, you know. But I got to, I got to a couple of funny pictures here. You could, some, of us, some of us, like, we just try to make the best of a bad situation. Like this guy. Check out this guy here. So this is what you call making the best of a bad situation. This guy here is going bald. And so what do you do? Well, naturally, you, you, get a tat, you get a tattoo of a sheep eating your hairline back, and you laugh it off. That's, I like, I'm so proud of that guy. I want to see somebody at Mountain get that tattoo and come show me. I, that, that's awesome right there. Or, or, and that's how some people do it. You just kind of, you know, you just make the best of it. Or, or, or how about this gal? How about this gal here? How do you make the best of a bad situation? So here she is. She's just like, you can just ignore it. I mean, I think it's like, you know, my house is burning down. But, um, you know, I'm going to go for a walk and, you know, text my bae and see what's up. And, honey, I'm having a hot flash or something. I mean, it's like, this is crazy. And I think a lot of us kind of relate to that scene right now in light of kind of just the tough time that a lot of people are having right now. It's like, you know what? So many things that we have come to, to love and cherish have seemed like they're being torched right now, you know? Plans and education and just so much stuff is tough right now and it's like we got to still go on with our lives and kind of looks like this picture or maybe it's more like this last one maybe it's sort of like this picture here you know maybe that's you right there you know maybe that's all of us you know and and we all kind of have a different way of responding but I think we feel like that and we can laugh at that but you know life has been so hard for so many people um and it just stinks you know for a lot of people it's difficult and and we react in different ways to the different parts of it, you know, and whether it's the pandemic or the, or the politics or the stuff we're reading about this huge drop in mental health uh, for, for kids especially. Just so many parts of this. Maybe it's a personal struggle. It's tough for you. But the thing that we have in common is the thing that all of us are struggling to hold on to hope. We're struggling on that just like holding on to hope. Because if you have hope, you, you've got everything. And when you lose hope, you've lost everything. And so hope is so critical. And that's why, can I just give you a beautiful blessing? And we're going to read that verse. I just like, let it wash over you. Let it, let it be a way of you getting filled again. I mean, it's why we came, right? You're here. You're listening because you want to be here. And one of the reasons we want to be here is for moments like this. This is God's holy word from Romans 15. Can you just let this... Let's just wash over you. May the God of hope, isn't that a beautiful description of our Lord? The God who can make impossible things happen. The God with who, who never is like, oh, I don't know what to do about that. The God of hope, may he fill you. With what? With, with, with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out exactly, but I trust God. And as you do that, you find a joy and a peace inside of you. Why? So that 
you may then overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope isn't just something to be had. It's something to be shared. There's an overflow. There's a spillage that's intended. And so as we've been working through these weeks, and I hope you've been able to join us. If not, catch the other messages. We're saying the first thing that's so important is that you and I, we got to be filled with hope ourselves. You can't share what you don't have. And so it's an opportunity to just do a gut check and to really trust in God and to say, you are the one who is the source of my hope. And you can find your hope in Christ. But then it's not just to be had, it's to be shared. So we've got to learn to bring hope to others. And that's where we've been focusing here. Here's the punchline. God wants to use you to bring hope to someone. I'm absolutely confident of that. God wants to use you, you and me, to bring his hope to someone. So that's why we're calling this whole series Hope rising, hope rising. And it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? This idea of in the middle of sinking hopes and hemorrhaging hopes all around us, that hope is rising. And, and one of the things we're doing is we're just saying, you know what, there, there's a lot going on um, that's, that feels kind of discouraging. There's a lot going on that feels kind of bad. And people are looking at churches and like, I don't know, church is going to make it. And you know, it's been a tough year. Yeah, okay. There's been a lot of hard things. But you know what? God was still at work. And there's so many reasons for encouragement. Do you know what God did in the middle of a pandemic? If we look back at 2021 and we just kind of summarize, you know what God did in the middle of a pandemic? Well, one little thing is God launched a brand new campus in Aberdeen through y'all. That's what God did. And over 600 people showed up on the first day and they've had over 50 baptisms and 400 people come through their new here station. And the student ministry at that campus has quadrupled. Friends, that's like punching Satan in the face. Hope's rising, okay? So don't, don't, don't just get locked into your news channel and your depressing aunt who just can't get over herself. You, you, got, you got to pay attention to what God's doing. And we want to get in line with that. That's why we're talking about hope rising. You know what God did in 2021? At the Abingdon campus, scad loads of people were baptized and they baptized family members they'd been praying for for years. And that broke through in the middle of this pandemic, and they started a food pantry, and they're putting lots of food on lots of tables, and a new partnership with Hickory Elementary School, which is going along with the other partnerships they already have over there. And at Edgewood, they had over 800 people show up at our Fall Fest for the Edgewood community members. That's crazy. It's crazy. And Edgewood student attendance doubled. We're reading all this stuff about how much trouble kids are in. Well, at the Edgewood campus, hope's on the rise over there. And, and, and a 1,000 kids... A thousand people, including other churches, gathered together for our student ministry fall retreat and CIY. Think about that. A thousand kids sitting together, hearing the word of God and getting their hope pumped up. Celebrate Recovery is addressing some of the needs that are so critical right now because tobacco use and, and um, uh, alcohol use and drug use is up so much in this season, especially among kids. But Celebrate Recovery has been working faithfully all along. We celebrated our 15th anniversary quietly because hope's on the rise. We launched a Thursday night service, and we have an online service with over 220,000 people who watched in, in the year 2021. Did you hear that? Okay, that's over 4 million minutes of what we're doing right now shared with someone around the world in our online ministry. At the Epicenter, we helped 366 guests be equipped to fight their own homelessness. And they're on their feet again. Over 700 people are on their journey to regain employment. 
Um, 250,000 pounds of food were distributed through the epicenter this year. And almost um, 4,000 guests were served through the epicenter. And the generosity of this church gave over $1.66 million in the middle of a pandemic in the month of December alone, which gave hope to kids at the epicenter, to kids at a church in in downtown Baltimore, and to to kids in Kenya. And it helped this church position itself into the future because God's on the move. First-time guests are rolling in, and uh, groups are growing, and God is moving, and hope is rising. Now, if that doesn't make you get a little bit excited, there's something wrong wrong with you. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. I'm telling you, hope's on the rise. Hope's on the rise, y'all. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, if we're going to respond to that, that truth that God wants to bring hope through you, it means we, we're going to have to pull ourselves together and out of the sand a little bit and, and say, ask, ask, how is that going to happen in my life? in this critical moment in history. And so some of this will be a little bit of review, but I think it's so important. We're going to go over some things again because it's so, so important. Number one, we've been saying this, that people who bring hope, hope bringers, you know what they do? They pray for people who need hope. And we want to be a praying people. And so I'm going to ask you to do again today what some of you might have done earlier, but we're going to do it again because there's a white card on your chair right where you are. And if you're at home, will you just grab something to write on? Because I think this exercise is so powerful as we take a moment to do this. We've been collecting names of people that we're just going to write on this card. And first, if you would, just go ahead and fold it in half and and, and tear it in half. Because if you write a new name, you want to be able to keep uh, keep it for you. Because we're going to turn these in as we leave one of our campuses today. And you can drop it in these beautiful bowls that are outside the doors. But let's just write the names of people that we care about, that God cares about, who need hope. That's all we're going to do. We're going to write their names. Now, you may want to write the same exact names of someone that you've written before, or maybe today you've done this last week or something, and a new name has come into mind. Write that name. Someone that needs hope. You know what? We've, we've gathered over 8,000 names that we're praying for already. 8,000 names. Maybe there's 8,000 more we're going to add this week. You remember these cards, they've come in and they they just represent, uh, we're going to put them in these bowls that are held up before God as a fragrant offering. And through the rest of the time we have together, you can be writing the names that occur to you because that's what hope bringers do to pray specifically for them, especially between now and Easter, at least two to three people. And remember there's a little exercise we sometimes use to kind of help us... um, maybe think of some extra names that didn't immediately come to mind. And it's a five-finger exercise. Let me me go over it with you. This will maybe bring some names to mind for you. First is the thumb. The thumb is the reminder that sometimes the people that need hope, that we need to pray for, are the people closest to us. This is your immediate family and friends, people that you are very close to. The next, the index finger kind of, is, is the next tier out of relationships. People that you have pretty regular contact with, you, you, you have touch with them through maybe a sports club or you work with them, or they're in your neighborhood or you somehow have contact with them or some names come into mind, write those names. The middle finger is uh, kind of provocative, but we just let's just go there. It's a reminder that we're going to pray for people that we don't even like. 
people that, you know what, when you think of them, you think of your middle finger and you think of Jesus saying, love and pray for your enemies. But God's put them in your life and they need hope. Maybe you write their name. This finger here is kind of the weakest finger on your hand somehow, and it's a reminder to pray for maybe there's someone who comes to mind who is just weak right now. They're, they're, maybe they're old, maybe they're sick. Maybe they're going through some kind of loss or they've lost their way. In some way or other, they're, they kind of need some help and some hope in their life right now. And then the last little finger, the shortest one, is a reminder to let God bring to mind someone you know who's fallen short. They messed up. Maybe it's a big moral failure in their life or they wrecked their marriage or something about their life kind of fell apart because of some mistake that they made when they fell short. Write those names. And then take that half home for you and just know that your feeble prayers and mine are held in a bowl up before God. And you know what that does? It it changes things. It changes you and it changes me, but it changes lives. And it, it moves heaven and strongholds are broken and power is unleashed when you pray. So we're calling ourselves to pray, okay? So you can figure out a way. You know, maybe it goes on the dash of your car to remind you when you're in the car. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. You just got to mention their names. God, would you please help these people somehow find hope? That's what hope bringers do. They pray for people who need hope, and we're going to pray between now and Easter. You know what else hope bringers do? Hope bringers invite boldly. They invite boldly. They, they find that moment, and they make an invitation boldly. And because as we all know, we talked about this last week, I mean, I wouldn't be married to the woman I'm married to without a bold invitation. And there's a lot of places you wouldn't be in your life without someone inviting you, which is a way of saying, I see you, I care about you, I'm willing to include you. So we invite boldly. In John chapter 4, there's that woman who she's really kind of messed up. She's one of the people who has um, fallen short. She's been married five times. The guy she's living with, sleeping with now, is, is a guy that, that she's not married to, and, and she cannot find, she, she just keeps running after guys, but cannot find a way to get fulfilled in life. And she's got this thirst in her soul that no man can fulfill, and then she meets Jesus, and he begins to talk about how to really fill up what's empty in her and talks about living water where she doesn't feel thirsty again. And she moves into that, through that conversation. She says yes to Jesus and begins to see a new life for her. And her whole life changes. And you know what she does immediately? When hope comes to a person, the most natural response is that you become a, a bold inviter. And that's exactly what happens to her. She runs back to the village where she is. She's talking to the men that abused her and used her. She's talking to everyone about what she has found in this hope through Jesus. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 29 of John, she just says, come and see. You guys got to come and see. You got to check this out. Come and see this. This is amazing. That's all you got to say sometimes is come and see. And I wonder what it would be like if more of us would just be willing to say, come and see. Something's real. Something's changed. I have found some hope, and I so wish you would have it. Would you just come and see? Would you just try? That's what a bold invitation is. You find the right time for one of these people, and you make that invitation. And, and, and you invite them to your group that you're in. You invite them to your home. You invite them to a dinner. You invite them to church. You invite them to something. Easter's coming. Invite them to something. When you get them here, you take them to the New Year station. And that, that will radically change. They'll experience such warmth and hospitality. Get a free gift and all that stuff. Invite boldly. We're talking about bungee cords here, right? And so the bungee cord is, is useless when it's like this. 
It's comfortable like that, but it's, it's more useful when it's stretched. And so are you. So am I. So how are we going to stretch? I want to take you someplace different today, and I, I want to show you something here. And uh, you try to follow along here what I'm doing. I'm going to draw a line that represents a kind of spiritual continuum here, okay? And this moment on that continuum represents the kind of moment a person steps across the line of faith. That's when hope begins to rise right here. But you could think of this as, let me do it up here, a kind of spiritual continuum. Like we'll call that negative 10, negative 7, maybe negative 3. And this kind of ground zero where a person steps across the line of faith. And as you become a Christ follower, you might have, you know, different levels of development. We'll call that 3 or plus 6 or plus 9, for example. And, you know, you think about, you can probably think of people you know in your life that are at different places along this continuum, can't you? You know, down here there's a name. I'll, I'll use some, some names. I'll call this like an antagonistic atheist if you're way down here by number 10. We know some folks like that, right? There's like every, they're just, they got an ax to grind. And maybe in the middle here it's more like an indifferent agnostic. Do you know what the word agnostic means? It means, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. And indifferent means, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't really care. There's a lot of people in this category. It's one of the fastest growing religious groups in America right now is this indifferent agnostic. I don't know and I don't care. I don't see the relevance. Kind of an apatheist. And this one here is maybe closer, but, you know, they they would be sort of curious, but cautious. Whoops. Let's put a U in there. But cautious. Because it's like, I don't know, Christians, I know some wacky Christians and some stuff I don't like about, I don't understand Christianity and there's a lot of stuff. It's hard to swallow, but I'm curious. There's, I, I've actually met some pretty interesting Christians. And so you start to see these different, you know, whatever labels you put on it, you see that. And then as you move here, you've got someone who's a, I'll call it a brand new believer, <laughs> baby Christian. They've stepped across the line of faith, but they're kind of like, whoa, this is new and a little bit clueless about everything. And then, you know, maybe you've got someone here who's kind of a, a developing disciple. You know, they're, they're, they're growing, you know, and learning and maturing. And over here, you've got someone who's maybe a fairly mature follower. They really follow Jesus and so forth. So I, you can just think about this. I want to just highlight a couple things for you here. First of all, number one, when you look at this, There's so many interesting things to see here. But number one, everyone's on here somewhere. Every person you know is on that chart somewhere. Okay? They're they're somewhere. Everybody has some kind of a relationship with God. It might be way back here and not much of one, or they may not think they have a relationship with God. That just means they're further down here. Or it might be, you know, up here. But everyone's on there somewhere. And right now in the place where we live, Stuff right, in, stuff right in here is growing. Because a lot of people used to kind of claim to be here, but they never really knew Jesus at all, and cultural Christianity is just not the cool thing anymore. So they're just kind of drifting that way. So everybody is on there somewhere. Number two, 
Where you are is not where you need to stay. Where you are is not where you need to stay. If a person is right here, the goal isn't to sort of just get saved and stay there, but to keep growing and moving in that direction. And a person that's down here, they may say, this is just who I am and what I believe and where I am, but it's not where you need to stay. People change. Things change. Circumstances change. Prayer changes things. And God really hopes that you will move because, number three, God's heart longs to see everyone find hope. So wherever anyone is on this, God's hope, God's desire, God's ache is that everyone would find hope. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross to to open up eternity and hope for every single person. And number four, God uses people to draw people toward that hope of his. That's how he does it. He sent his son, and then his son has said, now I'm sending you. Go fish for people. Be the light of the world. God wants to use you and me to bring hope to someone. So it's important when you think about how God uses us, it's important for us to have relationships with people all along that continuum, isn't it? It's pretty important. Let me ask you a question as you look at this. Where did Jesus spend time with people? Which kind of people did he spend time with? What do you think the answer is? Here's where Jesus spent time. So if you're only spending time here, you don't look very much like Jesus. If you're only spending time here, you got some growing to do. If you're only spending time here, you're probably in trouble. But Jesus spent time with everyone, didn't he? Because God uses people to draw people. Here's something else important for you to understand is that location isn't as important as direction. Where you are, where a person is, is not nearly as important as the direction they're moving. And God's Holy Spirit blows this way. And if a person is right here and they're self-righteous and they think they're all that but they're not moving toward Jesus and a person is down here at negative 10 but they move an inch that way to negative 9.5 they're closer to the heart of God than the religious self-righteous person over here that's what Jesus teaches so the direction is way more important than the location and finally you know what makes a difference as we think about what God wants to do is that conversations count Conversations count because conversations are the way that we learn and grow and develop relationships, and it's the way people move on this continuum. Let me try to explain a little more what I mean when I say conversation counts because it can, it can be the thing that helps a person take a step. So if you have a conversation with someone who's a negative seven, and as a result of that conversation and you just being transparent, being a friend, sharing hope, they move to negative six, that's a huge win in heaven and they have a party. They're not dancing full on yet because they're waiting for them to get up here, but you know what? We're, we're really good at celebrating this, but we've got to get really good at celebrating some of these moves here. And we've got to get better, mountain people, at having conversations because 
When you look at it that way, you realize conversations are about as important as conversions. Because without conversations, you don't have any conversions. You don't have anyone finding the hope of Christ. So this is, this is where I want to take you next. Hope bringers, they pray for people who need hope. They invite boldly. And because all this is true and conversations count, let me leave you with something else. Hope bringers love by listening. <laughs> they love by listening to people who really need hope. Friends, listen. Every relationship begins with listening. All right? You don't have a relationship until you have listening. And when the listening stops, what happens to the relationship? The relationship suffers and dies. So if you want to convey love and significance and warmth and hope, which is all the fruit of Jesus' spirit, you want to convey that to someone, let them feel heard. In my marriage, I've been married 30 years, and we still are figuring out that the times that we go through our roughest patches, you know what's going on? Those married people do. One of us feels like we're not being heard. You're not listening. Now, I know that probably doesn't happen to anyone else, but once in a while in my marriage, Carla doesn't listen very well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. It's true, and it's, it's true in every single relationship. So if you want to show love, let a person feel heard. You want them to understand hope. What we often do is we start to say, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? Oh, I'm going to go have a conversation. i got to do all the talking. How am I going to talk them into this? How am I going to persuade them to do that? How am I going to argue with them? I was talking to, a, talking to a kid just the other night. He's like, you know, I'm talking to my friend, and I'm telling him about Jesus, and I'm trying to bring hope to him. You know what? But he's not listening. He won't listen, so what do I tell him? And it's easy to fall into that idea. And there is a time to talk, but first we start with listening. And this is harder than a lot of us maybe want to admit. Because a lot of us are just frankly more interested in what we have to say. You know that old thing where you listen and you're kind of acting like you're listening, but really what are you doing? You're kind of formulating your next response. Where, you know, you're just waiting for their mouth to stop moving so you can say the important stuff. That's not really listening. Someone once said the opposite of listening is not speaking. The opposite of listening is waiting to speak. Where you're kind of queuing up your part. Proverbs 18 says it this way, fools have no interest in understanding another person. They just want to air their own opinions. Don't be foolish. I've been foolish so many times in that way. So we start by understanding this powerful truth that we're just giving a powerful gift to someone when we listen to them. We understand them. When, when, when a friend comes to you, a coworker asks you, hey, can I mention something to you? Or they just kind of linger and start talking. What's going on there? They're not hoping that you will pontificate to them, most likely. They don't necessarily want your expertise. What they want is your support, your ears, a friend, some kind of you know, uh, um, a friendship. They want to be heard. They want to be validated. They want to be understood. And you don't have to run then to the sort of solution or the answer. And, if, and when you do have some truth to shed, and you will, and when you do have some light to give to the situation, and you will, and, and when you have some help to offer in the way of words, and no doubt you will. The question is this, when are they going to be most likely to receive that? Before they have felt heard by you? Or after, right? 
was so eager to get our peace out that we forget to listen. Jesus, I think, modeled this so well, didn't he? He was such a great listener. Uh, he began um, uh, demonstrating this from the earliest days of his ministry. If you look at Luke chapter 18, there's a story one day about this blind beggar sitting by the side of the road, and Jesus is going into this town called Jericho. It reads like this. Jesus approaches Jericho. A blind beggar was sitting beside the road, and when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. What's going on? What's going on? You know, he's asking. I, 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 some, some big commotion. And they told him that, well, it's Jesus. Uh, uh, the Nazarene was going by. Next verse. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't know where Jesus is, but he's just yelling as loud as he can in every direction. Be quiet. The people are embarrassed. Jesus has got places to go. He's important. He doesn't need this filthy sinner beggar man yelling out like this. And they all tell him to pipe down and to be quiet. Now, then the next verse says that he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him. There's some communication going on in the middle of this crazy, crazy world that's happening in this scene. He heard Jesus, and Jesus heard him, and he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. Now, pause just one second there, because I want to make sure you don't miss something here. I want you to catch something, and that is Jesus is going, he's heading to Jerusalem, is where he's going for the Passover, and he's passing, his last stop is Jericho, and you need to understand that Jericho would have been a massively busy place at that time, crowded with people. Think of, think of Times Square on New Year's Eve, all right? Or, or, or the Darlington Apple Festival or something like that. Okay, so it's something with lots of hordes of people, right, sort of crowding around or whatever. And, and in the middle of that hubbub, above the noise, there's this man crying out, have mercy on me. And somehow the miracle is that Jesus even hears this guy, that singular voice ringing out. Man, what a beautiful reminder that is that no matter what crazy stuff's going on in your world, when you just need to call out for some help from God, no matter how crazy or loud or noisy everything is, you can do that and Jesus will hear you. It's a beautiful reminder. And I really think our friends, wherever they may be on that line, that's what they're kind of looking for too, is for you to be like Jesus in that way. To hear them without them having to yell for help. To really hear them. You know, it's like a parent who somehow has the ability to hear that kid's cry in the night. You know what happens? You're lying there in bed and fast asleep, and then, you know, you kind of get wake, woken up a little bit, and you hear the kid crying. What do you do? You know? Well, guys, you know what you do. You act like you're asleep, and then she'll get up and take care. But, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no kidding, I, I would sleep through those things, but Carla, she could, hear the, she could hear the first little peep and she'd be up. And, and this is how it is with the Lord with us. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating in that moment. The, the cry of one of his children comes to his ears and he hears. He hears our cries and he knows our hurts. And it's true for everyone that you know that you're praying for. And the way they're going to believe that the way they could start to believe that is if you show them. Maybe do a little listening yourself. Let them know what it's like to be heard by someone who has the Spirit of Jesus alive in them. 
So everyone's saying, shush up, get this guy away. And Jesus is like, no, bring the guy over here. Verse 40, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your eyes are healed because of your faith. He knows what's going on inside. And instantly the man could see and he praised God and everyone else did too. Do you, before we rush past this, this is like, okay, yawn, yawn. Blind guy, Jesus meets him, he gets his sight. Next story. But don't miss something really important here. Did you hear the question that Jesus asked him? What do you want me to do for you? It's crazy, isn't it? It's like asking a Ravens fan, what do you want? We want to win games and go to the playoffs for once, for crying out loud, right? It's obvious. Isn't it silly? Isn't it obvious? The guy's blind. What do you mean, what do you want? But somehow, Jesus felt it was an important thing to ask that man a question and give him the opportunity to say what he wanted and needed. To be heard. He invites the man to open up and share his heart, and he didn't assume that he knew the answer. And he also wanted that man to kind of declare it. And friends, just listen. If Jesus, who literally is a know-it-all, <laughs> I mean, he literally is omniscient, if he can ask questions and then wait for an answer from an invisible, pitiful beggar man, maybe we can learn to ask more questions and listen better too in order to bring hope to someone it's amazing when you feel heard. It's just a little bit of hope rises in your spirit. Something changes. Your burden is lifted and someone cares and it's, it's pretty significant. That's why I wanted, to, I wanted to give you a stethoscope. If I, was looking for, if I could have found a cheap little toy stethoscope, I'd have handed one to everyone that was in one of our campuses this weekend to remind you. There's a guy who invented that way back in the day and he, and he said, hey, if you're going to use... The reason he invented it is he was very uncomfortable with putting his ear up to the chest of women when he was listening to their heart. So he invented this stethoscope. We still use it today. And he, and he told his students, if you use this stethoscope to listen to the lungs and the blood vessels, don't stop listening to your patients. And what is a stethoscope for? I would have given you one to remind you to listen to people's hearts. To listen not just to the words or just to their actions. Or people, people on this can act all kinds of ways. But when you can learn to listen to their heart and what's really going on, everyone's got a story, but very few have people who will listen to their story. Let me say that again. Everyone's got a story. But very few have someone who will listen to that story. So use that stethoscope to listen to people's hearts. Because as Dallas Willard says, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. What better way than by listening? So you can think of the people that you know in your life, some of the conversations that you can imagine having at the water cooler, in the neighborhood, at the sports game. Maybe you could ask some questions. It might not be, uh, what do you want me to do for you? It might be. It might be, I noticed that you really are into uh, pickleball. Um, tell me about that. It might be just you asking about something that's happened. Is there a baby that's been born? Is there a death in the family? Did, is someone new? Or maybe it's someone who kind of doesn't fit the profile of everyone else in your workplace. Someone who's kind of bullied at school. When you can listen to someone, you'll never 
be surprised to learn the doors that it opens. I just want to leave you with, uh, with something really, really beautiful that happened that I thought just demonstrated so many of the things we're talking about is it might be an encouragement to you as we, as we close. Because it happened just uh, a week ago, Thursday night. And uh, he, he wrote uh, some of it down for me. And I just want to share part of a story uh, of what happened here at Mountain with Hope on the Rise. And it's, it's a guy named Chuck. And Chuck says... When I was growing up, I used to belong to a family, a family that went to, to, to a church, but we never really connected with it, and eventually we parted ways. We just didn't agree with anything, and most of my life, then, I just strayed from church, and without the guidance of fellowship that comes from Christ's followers, he says, I just basically put religion on a back seat, and my life showed it for quite some time. Many, many, many years ago, in the 1970s, Go ahead, everyone. Raise your hand if you weren't born in the 1970s yet. <laughs> That's a long time ago, okay? He said, in the 1970s, I met a guy named Carl. And we've been good friends ever since. At one point, we were roommates renting a house together. He says, there's a very long-standing friendship based on respect and trust. Years ago, he explains how Carl found Jesus, and I was so happy for him. I knew he'd been attending church and later found out he was attending Mountain and got baptized there. From time to time, Carl would start a conversation with me about life and hope and beliefs, and sometimes I'd be interested and sometimes I wasn't, and whenever he sensed that, he would just change the subject. He never pressed the issue. He just, as he would say, planted seeds. It was during that time that I noticed something about Carl. He was more at peace with himself and just with life in general. I thought, well, I'm happy, aren't I? And for the most part, I was, but I also knew something was missing. A void, if you will, and I couldn't explain it. And one time when we were at, at his home, he asked my wife if she thought we would have an interest in attending a church service at Mountain. It was for Easter Sunday. And it seemed like an extra special opportunity. An opportunity and preparedness met that day. I was kind of looking for some answers, and we attended. And it has forever changed our lives. I'm beginning to experience that sense of peace that I saw in Carl, a peace like no other. Now, this story gets better. Listen to this. In 2018, my daughter Jessica had this big injury, and he explains this nasty bone infection she had, a series of surgeries over an 18-month period, 11 surgeries, really, really difficult and debilitating. But something that he heard here at Mountain told him to change his prayers. Rather than simply asking for her recovery, he said, what can I do to aid in the recovery? And I said, God, just work through me and allow me to hear and understand something that I should do. And that's when I began to hear this overwhelming presence of God say to me crystal clear, bring her to me. Bring her to me. And as long as I live, I'll never forget that overwhelming experience. Carl, uh, uh, Chuck and I talked at that point, and I said, well, have you told Jessica about this? He said, no. I said, you should, and he did. He went home, and he explains to her, I've been, I've been going through this. Jessica, I've been praying for you. And Jessica says, well, Dad, I've been praying for you. And he says, you have no idea how powerful it was, what it meant for each of us, and how it impacted our relationship in a positive way. We had this lengthy discussion to learn that each of us had been praying for one another. It wasn't long after that that he said, 
Jessica, I want to get baptized. And she said, so do I. And that leads us to last Thursday here at Mountain when he said, I finally understood what that meant when he prayed and he heard the words, bring her to me. And last Thursday, he was baptized at Mountain. And then right after that, they baptized his daughter Jessica right here at Mountain Road. What a beautiful thing. He says, we don't have a complete understanding. They're somewhere on that plus one or plus two right now, but they're committed to traveling down this road with the help of Mountain, and it's something I'm going to cherish for the rest of my life. Now, friends, that's beautiful, isn't it? Can I show you one more picture? Look at that next picture. There they are on the baptistry with Jared, these two guys here. But you see that guy over on the right looking up to the heavens as like he's praying? Guess who that is? That's my friend Carl. Can you imagine his joy in that moment? I don't know how many years have passed since the 1970s till now, but quite a few, and quite a few prayers, quite a few invitations. But hope rose right out of his skin that night when he saw that baptism, when he saw that new life. And I so badly want for you to experience that. That you wouldn't just know that God used you to bring hope to somebody. And it'll happen. I promise it'll happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know God. And if you'll write names on that card and you'll humbly submit to this, then there's no telling what God will do. All right. I love you, my friends, and I love your courage and compassion for people who need hope. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the hope that you bring to us. And we ask you now, will you help us to be hope bringers. God, I thank you for stories like Chuck's and Jessica's and people like Carl who just just hung out and were friends and planted seeds. And God, help us to to do the same, to, to water those seeds with prayer and with waiting and conversations and friendship and listening. Help us to water those seeds. And then God, in the fullness of time, will you just bring them to full flower in the way that you care to and you want to. And we just we just want to have that joy that you have when you see one of your children come home. So we pray all of this in the good and beautiful and strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.